0: to the Seeking Pearls Podcast. My name is Rebecca Meidinger. It is awesome to be here with you. I am very slowly making my way through the Book of Colossians on this podcast. Very slowly because I am also I also have a full-time job apart from podcasting, although I would love for this to be my full-time job. It's not. And so I have four four kids and a full-time job. And so I am very slowly making my way through the book of Colossians, but I'm super excited to be here with you today on what will be the second to the last episode, actually. So we are in Colossians chapter 3, and this is only the sixth episode. I had said that we going to be eight, but looking through chapter 4, I have decided to put chapter 4 all in one episode. And so today we're going to look at the second half of chapter 3, and then in the next episode, we will cover all of chapter 4. So going through the book of Colossians, first of all, the Apostle Paul, who's writing to the people of Colossae, the Christians in Colossae, he has been writing them about who Jesus is, giving them very clear understanding and definition of who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. Because in the church in Colossae, actually, just like our churches today, there are misunderstandings and Ideas of the culture, philosophies of the culture, are infiltrating the gospel and what the church is teaching. And so Paul is writing to them to explain so they understand more clearly the gospel of the Lord Jesus, what happened on the cross of Christ, what it means to be in Christ, how they are free from the bondages of the world and the rules of the world they've been set free from that to follow christ and their lives are in christ he starts chapter three by saying since then you are in christ your life is in christ you've been raised with christ this then is how you shall live and the first half of chapter three teaches them what they should take off the practices that they should take off and then in the second half of chapter three, he's gonna teach us then how we should live. What should we put on after we have taken off our old practices? I'm gonna read because the the pattern of this, po- this podcast has been that I'm going to read the text in full that I'm covering for today because it's a letter. And so I wanna read it in full as if you're hearing a letter read. And then we will go back to the beginning of where we're looking at today, and we will talk through verse by verse and see what we can learn from the text for today. So the text for today starts at chapter 12 of, I'm sorry, verse 12 of chapter 3 of Colossians, and I'm going to read through verse 1 of chapter 4. So I'm going to start at chapter 3, verse 12, reading in Jesus' name. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, masters provide your slaves with what is fair and right because you know that you also have a master in heaven this is the word of the lord okay so let's go back up to the beginning at verse 12 where we are starting for today and let's go through it verse by verse so i just want to backtrack just a bit that in verse 11 Paul had ended kind of that first chunk by letting the, the church know that within the body of Christ, there is no difference between races, nationalities, male, female, slave, free, no matter who you are, whether you've been circumcised or not, no matter who you are, there's no difference in the body of Christ, You are all one in Christ. He says Christ is all and Christ is in all. There's no difference. So verse 12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, you are dearly loved by God. Now let's remember here, he's not talking to individuals, although this is true of individuals. Each individual who comes to Christ has been chosen by God to come to Christ. That is called predestination. There's a whole, whole theology out there that I am not going to get into. Um, But God has chosen those who have come to believe in him. Now, there's definitely possibilities that God has chosen all of us to come to him. He desires all of us to come to him. That is that is where I would fall. But there's a huge debate out there about what that means. But what we know for sure is that those who have come to Christ have been chosen by God to come to Christ. So you are God's chosen people holy and dearly loved it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter your nationality or your race or whether or not you've been circumcised or your social level or whether you're a slave or free or whether you're male or female it does not matter any of that you've been chosen by god you are holy because jesus made you holy on the cross of christ he canceled your sin that was in chapter 2 and you are dearly loved he's talking to the church not individuals but this is certainly true of us as individuals as well and then he says clothe yourselves with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience now in earlier in uh, verses 5 and 8 in chapter 3 he had told us what to take off he had said to take off everything that belongs to our earthly nature actually put to death and we talked in the last episode how really it means like mortify it do it now take it off so the things that we are supposed to take off or mortify put to death on a daily basis are sexual immorality impurity lust evil desires and greed which is idolatry And then um, in verse 8, he lists anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. So those are the things we're supposed to take off. And those are sin habits that we literally have to take off and put to death on a daily basis. As we grow in the process of sanctification and become more like Jesus, taking off the sin habits will get easier there will be fewer sin habits to take off as we become more like Jesus and our muscles of putting them to death on a daily basis will get stronger we'll be better and more capable of putting those to death so we will grow in sanctification but if we're gonna take all that stuff off what do we put on in its place we put on the qualities of Christ compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Now let us look very closely and realize something. If we're supposed to take off the things that belong to our earthly nature and put on the, the nature of Christ, then it's very clear that which one comes more naturally and which one comes more easily to us. The earthly nature. The earthly nature is what comes easily. That's what comes naturally to us. We have to work at putting on the nature of Christ. Now, here again, uh, as we grow in sanctification, this will get easier. Also, we are not alone because these are fruit of the Spirit. These are given to us by the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit grows these in us. And as the Holy Spirit grows these qualities in us, we partner with the Holy Spirit by choosing to put them on daily. He grows our capacity for kindness. He grows our capacity for gentleness. He grows our capacity for patience, compassion. And as he grows those capabilities, we partner with the Holy Spirit to put them on. (laughs) So we are not doing this on our own. The Holy Spirit does the most of the work, and we just have to agree with the Holy Spirit. Yes, Holy Spirit, I choose these qualities today that you, that you, Holy Spirit, have grown inside of me. So, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. If you look at the fruit of the Spirit list from Galatians chapter 4, verses 22 and 23 you will find them very similar the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control i just encourage everybody everyone i teach every time i teach the bible that where i where i get to teach the fruit of the spirit i just want to encourage everybody to go ahead and commit those to memory i i use clapping (laughs) and rhythm for a lot of my memory work uh, and especially like a list of memory like the fruit of the spirit. So go ahead and just get out your clapping hands. and I don't know if that'll translate very well over podcasts, but just like um, love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's how I always do it when I when I teach the memorization of the fruits of the spirit. love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's so helpful, though, to have those memories memorized, to just have them deep down in you. And then when you find yourself in a place where you feel none of them, you don't feel them or want them or desire to act like that at all, it's so helpful to just have it where you can just run through it in your head and the Holy Spirit eventually can, can cause you to want to put them on. And uh, and so we partner with the Holy Spirit at putting on those qualities. In verse 13, he writes, bear with each other. I love this sentence because he's literally saying put up with each other. And I just think that is awesome. Now, he's writing to a church church. I think of this like, I think about this as our family right now. So here's what's going on in our family right now. We are all home. (laughs) It's spring break in Fargo. We're not traveling. We've had so many blizzards this year. It's very depressing. The snow is so deep. Nobody wants to play outside anymore. It's cold. It's actually not that cold, but you know, we're just sick of the snow. It's cold enough that the snow is not melting. And, um, we're tired of each other. I had the stomach flu all weekend, so, you know, that wiped me out, and the siblings are all exhausted with each other. This weekend, we are traveling to go to state swimming in Bismarck, um, to the state swim meet, and we'll be in a hotel with each other for the whole weekend, which, you know, with six of us, that's... Eh. <laughs> so, it'll be an adventure. I'm praying for the Spirit of God to come in, and to give us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're going to need a lot of Holy Spirit to make it through the rest of this week. Um, But here is the deal. Verse 13 says, bear with each other. Just put up with each other. And I just love how real it is. I love the honesty of that. It does not say like to you always have to like be giddy with liking each other just put up with each other right just put up with each other you are all sinners in a church in a household there's just a whole bunch of sinners hanging out together living together doing life together bear with each other put up with each other forgive one another if any of you have has a grievance against someone. (laughs) I love the if here. If you have a grievance against anyone. uh, Yeah, I'm sure there are lots of grievances (laughs) Uh, in a church, in a family. There's lots of grievances against each other. So what do we do about that? We forgive. We forgive. And we forgive, and we forgive, and we never stop forgiving. Jesus says 70 times 7. What does that mean? It means perfection upon perfection. You just keep forgiving, you forgive to the uttermost. You just keep forgiving. That is how you put up with each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, Jesus forgave us completely. Psalm 103 says as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So he has forgiven totally, completely. He does not bring up old grudges. The Lord doesn't do that. So when we forgive one another in a family, in a body of Christ, in a church, when we forgive one another, we don't hold on to grudges. We let go. Jesus let go. He canceled our sin debt. It's gone. He canceled it. So therefore, we must forgive each other in the same way and not hold grudges. Within our churches, we cannot hold grudges. In his letter to the Corinthians, the second letter in our Bible to the Corinthians, we know there were other letters between the Corinthians and Paul. But in our letter of 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to them about a divisive situation in the church. And he says to them that this divisiveness is a scheme of Satan. And we cannot let Satan think that we are unaware of his schemes. So we cannot let this divisiveness get the better of us. We have to shut it down, get rid of the divisiveness, and move on together in unity. We must forgive as the Lord forgives. Do not hold grudges. And then Paul, Paul says in verse 14, over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Over everything, put on love. In 1 Peter 4, 8, he writes, Above all else, Love one another deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Isn't that just wonderful, above everything else? Love each other. Love each other. When you love each other, it will cover over a multitude of sins. Are we supposed to just ignore and forget about sin and let it fester and let it grow until it's hurtful? No. No. We confess our sin one to another so that we might be healed. But since we are in fact going to sin against each other, love each other deeply, love each other deeply, and it will cover over sin and allow forgiveness. Now, of course, this is not any sort of an excuse or permission for abuse. By no means, by no means. We're talking about sins that are not abusive. So if that is the situation that that requires counseling, that requires seeking professional help, and that is not something that I can give on this podcast, what I am talking about and what I believe the text is talking about are the sins against one another that are not in in an abusive category, but are sins that cause festering, cause division, uh, cause antagonism and resentment within the church those sins forgive put on love over them because love covers over a multitude of sins also just to talk to just to mention one more thing about how this is not an excuse to overlook or to ignore abuse All of that was actually already dealt with. Anything that would fall under an abusive category was actually already dealt with in verses 5 through 10. So Paul has already told the church to put to death anything that would, would fall under an abusive category all of the things listed, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, filthy language from your lips, lying. So any abusive pattern would come under any one or maybe many of those sin patterns that the church already has told, put these to death. These are unacceptable. Put them to death on a daily basis. So after you've put to death all of those daily practices, there, there is no leeway here. There's no permission or ignoring here of any sorts of abusive practices. So over the sins, the sin habits that are still lingering, that are causing annoyances, resentment, antagonism, festering, put on love. But these sin habits, you still have to keep on killing them. Kill the sin habits. Get rid of them. They are not permitted in the church. Okay, I'm going to move on now. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Isn't that just wonderful? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I love how that's worded because it's like we give the peace of Christ permission. We learn in Paul's letter to the Philippians, in philippians chapter 4 that the peace of god guards our hearts and minds in christ jesus and that the peace of god surpasses all understanding god has a peace for us that will guard our heart and our mind the peace will go beyond any sort of understanding it will not make sense to other people and yet The peace of God is not going to simply invade itself upon us. We get to welcome it in. And so it says, let the peace of Christ rule your heart. Let it. The peace of God wants to rule your heart. He wants to guard your heart. Let him, let the peace of Christ guard your heart. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Again, we're talking about the church here. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This, I think, is very important because especially the word admonish is what I want to focus on here. Remember, he's speaking to a church, and he says, Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. So as, you know, they don't have... A lot of the written text that we have they have the entire uh, Old Testament and so they have the Psalms and then let's see here this is about 61 AD so it's possible that some of the some of the early earlier letters of Paul have been circulating they may have gotten copies of like Galatians would have been written by now Thessalonians would have been written now Romans the letters to the Corinthians would have been written uh, so quite a few of Paul's letters would have been written by this point. They may have already been copied and been circulating. Um, let's see, I think Mark is usually considered the earliest gospel written. That one may be circulating. Anyway, so my point is, as they let the message of Christ dwell in them richly, they are just getting copies of the biblical text and let it dwell in you richly. But not just the written text. This would definitely mean the message of Jesus, the story of the gospel of Jesus. As, as the parables of Jesus, Jesus' teaching were passed down probably primarily orally, but also in, in some written forms as well. Let it dwell among you richly. Everything that you can learn about Jesus, everything you can learn about the Bible, let it dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. This is what is so lacking, I think, in our Christian church today, especially in the United States, where we do not admonish one another. To admonish one another means to warn or reprimand someone firmly or to advise or to urge earnestly so to admonish somebody means that you are taking seriously what they're doing wrong and you are going to correct them you are gonna warn them firmly you are going to advise them earnestly because they're going in the wrong direction and this is something that we just don't do anymore because we're in a culture of tolerate everything and so The the Apostle Paul says you need to admonish each other. But you're doing it, look at what you're doing it with. Look at in verses 12 through 14. You're admonishing one another with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, with forgiveness, and with love. And you have the peace of Christ ruling in your hearts. And you're going forth in thanksgiving, being thankful for the body of Christ, being thankful for what Jesus has done for you. So you are in a place of humility and gratitude, and you are admonishing one another from that place, not from a place of wanting to overpower one another, because that goes against everything that Paul has already told us to put on. So this isn't about being authoritative or authoritarian or uh, being I'm right and you're wrong. This is this is nothing about that. It's in humility wanting to help each other guide one another closer to Jesus let's admonish one another and that i think has been lost at least in the american church because we get offended at everything there is no place to be offended as a as a bible believing Christian who wants to become more like Jesus we don't need to get offended when somebody calls out our sin we can just say oh you're right (laughs) oh you're right I am that's true that is sin thank you for pointing it out for me there's no place for being offended by it we can just we can just in humility say you're right I'm sorry and and we can move on so we, can, we should be able to admonish one another. That's very important. But also important is the list of attributes that come before the admonishment. The admonishment is done within the spirit of Christ in kindness, gentleness, and we've already been through that. So I just it, it aches my heart that that has been so lost. And there, it's beautiful when you've come into a community where admonishment can be done. And it can be done in a way that builds up the body of Christ in a beautiful way. Um, that takes great spiritual maturity. Verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it In the honor and in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter what your job is, it doesn't matter where you live or who you interact with, you can be representing the Lord Jesus Christ in all places. And so do so. Do so. We need to do so. We need Jesus to be honored and glorified in every workplace, in every public sphere, we need Christians who will just go there and love, 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 love people in the name of Jesus. Uh, that is what our world needs desperately. I work in the public school system, and I just, I just see kids everywhere who need the love of Jesus. And if I can just, you know, if, I can, if every day I can show love to one kid who needs love, well, that's a win like that. That was a day well spent. And uh, everywhere you go, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. All right, we're going to get into some household codes here. I want to, before I start this, because this can be a little bit um, controversial, I'd like to say that household codes were actually very normal in the Roman Empire. Household codes came out on a regular basis by the government, by the uh, dictators, uh, the emperors, uh, and were sent out to the various regions of the Roman Empire instructing households how to function. What is... Shocking about the household codes that Paul includes in both Colossians and Ephesians is that in his household codes, he includes words to the husbands and the fathers, who of course would almost always be the same person in the household. When the Roman Empire sent out their household codes, um, there was no instruction to fathers and husbands because they were given permission to run their household however they want, which usually meant abusively, or it could include abusively. I should say they, they were permitted to run their households abusively and nobody would bat an eye. Nobody would bat an eye. The father and the husband had the right to punish anybody in their household as they saw fit and nobody would blink because it was their right to do so. That is not the way that Paul is writing household codes. And so we see a drastic change here when Paul writes household codes to the church. So he is instructing them how to run their household. But when they read this, they would, like, it would be jaw-dropping, you guys. (laughs) Jaw-dropping. That they would read this, and they're going to first read a sentence about the wives. That would be normal. But then they're going to get to a sentence about the husbands, and their jaws would have dropped. Like, what? There's an expectation on the husband as well? Further down the list, there is an instruction to the father about how to treat his children. And that would have been jaw dropping. And then even further down the list, there's an instruction to the master over the slaves who, again, this is all the same person. That would be shocking. Three times this leader of this household, this man gets instruction on how to treat those he's over. That was unheard of in the Roman Empire. And he's getting instruction here to be fair and right and good. All right. So let's go ahead and start this now that we have a little bit of understanding of how uh, this is countercultural in the empire it's written in. Okay. So chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. All right, so if you want more in depth on this, jump over to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Go ahead and jump over there. Ephesians expands uh, a great deal on what Paul is writing here. And when he writes in Ephesians, before he says, Wives, submit to your husbands he says submit to one another out of reverence for christ so he's telling them submit to each other and then he goes into specific details about the how the husband and how the wife should submit okay so verse 18 wives submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the lord now there's a couple different things here that as is fitting in the lord what does that mean a couple different takes on that One could mean that it's fitting in the Lord for wives to submit to their husbands. The other take on it could mean submit to your husband in the things that are fitting in the Lord. So where your your husband is submitting to the Lord, submit to your husband there. But if your husband is behaving in ways that is not in obedience to the Lord you need to obey the Lord and not your husband. So your first allegiance is to the Lord, not to your husband. Submit to your husband in the things that are fitting in the Lord. In the, all the other things, if your husband is disobeying the Lord, you continue obeying the Lord. So those are kind of two different takes on that. I would definitely side with (laughs) the one where as your husband is following Christ, Follow your husband. Where your husband is not following Christ, you continue following Christ. Continue following Christ. He is your first allegiance. Verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's a simple phrase, but it would be countercultural in the Roman Empire. Totally counter-cultural. Shocking even. And I will say... It's countercultural here too that husbands should not be harsh with their wives. There's a lot of harshness that goes on in households behind closed doors. And I'm not a therapist. One of my best friends is. But um, I'm not going to say anything more about that because I'm not a therapist. But that's a countercultural statement. And I think we can all uh, probably agree with that 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 is very countercultural. Do not be harsh with your wives. In the Ephesians text, he goes on much more about how husbands should love their wives the way that Jesus loved the church so much that they would be willing to die for her like Christ died for the church. Again, considering the fact that husbands were not usually included in household codes, that is wild and crazy and beautiful (laughs) that Paul includes this here. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. But, (laughs) verse 21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Oh, man. Okay, first of all, I do want to say that um, the word for fathers in uh, verse 21 can be translated parents as well. That would be another acceptable translation there. So, we moms are not off the hook here, okay? Parents, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. My goodness, raise your hand with me if you know this for a fact because you've done it so many times where you have embittered your children and they have become discouraged because you've been nagging on them or picking on them or scolding them or yelling at them and you just see the discouragement on their faces and then you feel like the scum of the earth, because you know you broke their heart a little bit. And it's so hard. It's so hard. But what a good word. What a good word for us as parents to try to remember that. Verse 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there's no favoritism. Okay, now I want to address this a little bit because a couple of passages like this in Paul's letters have caused people to think that Paul is endorsing slavery. He's absolutely not endorsing slavery. We have to read scripture in light of scripture. And if you also read a letter that was sent with Colossians, like written at the same time, sent with Colossians to the same place, that letter is the letter of Philemon. Paul is writing to Philemon, who is a friend and a slave owner of Onesimus. He's writing to Philemon, and the whole letter is simply about, please let Onesimus free. Do not hold him as a slave anymore. Onesimus ran away from Philemon. We don't know why he ran away. Um, and he, he became friends with Paul. And Paul is beseeching Philemon to understand that Onesimus is a brother in Christ and to set him free do not hold him as a slave anymore. Do the right thing, Philemon. That is what the whole letter of Philemon is about. So Paul by no means endorses slavery. He is writing household codes here. The fact of the matter is many, many, many of the early Christians were slaves. And they would come to the The gatherings where the Christians would meet, usually in secret and private, early, early in the morning, like we're talking like dark, like 3 a.m. Or late, late at night, midnight, 1 1 a.m. when they were off duty, uh, they would come to the, the gatherings of the Christians in secret because, of course, they were under great persecution throughout the Roman Empire at this time. And there were so many slaves present. So when Paul addresses the slaves in his letters, that is a beautiful thing. He knows they're at the Christian gatherings, and they need a word for how they should live. They're slaves. They don't have freedom. They know they could be killed for going to this Christian gathering right now. Um, but, of course, when they are obeying their masters, we obey Christ first. So they're they are free. Like they're free in Christ to go to the gatherings of believers because we're, we obey Christ first. So they're at the Christian gatherings, and he's telling them, obey your masters. Serve the Lord. When you are serving your master, serve the Lord. Like, what a, what a weight to have lifted off your shoulders as a slave. To not think of your life as one that is meaningless, where you're just serving an earthy master who may be cruel to you. But rather... Do your job uh, as if Jesus is your master. Serve Jesus instead. While you are going about the, the daily routine, the tasks of being a slave and doing the things that you need to do for your master, do it, do it for Jesus. Work for the Lord. Work for the Lord. Um, and just that simple change in mindset that can change anyone's job. When I've had jobs that are very, very difficult, and you don't wanna, you don't wanna be working for the person you're working for, or you don't wanna be doing the job that you're doing, uh, do it for God. Do it for God, and it just like it makes it joyful, and it, it gives you gratitude in your heart. It's like, oh, I can do this for God. Oh. <laughs> That's so much better to do it for a God who loves me instead of a master who doesn't care about me, right? An earthly master who doesn't care about me. It just changes your understanding of your job, it changes how you feel about yourself doing your job. It changes it changes everything. So, do it do it for God. Another thing just a note on this is the word that's translated as slaves is dulos and that usually means household servant. So it's not for the most part this is not addressing slaves as we in America understand slavery. It's it's not the same. It's household servants primarily. But I think it certainly would probably include a lot of the same cruelties and harshnesses that we are familiar with, but without I think the The extreme, horrific racism that is included in American slavery. The slaves in the Roman Empire were of many, many different races. They were captured from many places that the Romans conquered throughout the Roman Empire. And then also, people could sell themselves, like a bond servant, as somebody who would sell themselves into slavery so that they could be well cared for or at least cared for, fed, have a place to live, and serve a master. uh, So they would give themselves over to slavery. So it's not necessarily the same as what we think of as slavery. But there probably are a lot of instances where there are similarities. I have been, this is just a little side note, I have been reading Booker T. Washington's Autobiography, which is incredible. It's called Up From Slavery. And Booker T. Washington was born as a slave about um, seven or so years before the Civil War ended. So he was born in like 1858 or 18, 1857 or 1858. And he talks in the book about the tremendous love that the slaves had for their owners, which I have found really fascinating. I did not expect that. And he says, even if they were tr- treated cruelly, they slaves had a great love for their masters. And I didn't know that. I found that really interesting. Okay, verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Masters. Provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Okay, so this would be the third time that this head of the household, who is a man, has gotten an instruction when, as a husband, as a father, and now as a master. Provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you have a master in heaven. Now again, the people who would hear this are the masters who are Christians and they have come to the gathering. So they, they have come to believe that Jesus in fact is Lord. They don't necessarily know what that means for their daily life and they're learning what does this mean about my daily life that I have learned that I am a sinner and I have a savior and his name is Jesus. Now I'm coming to this Christian gathering what does this mean for how I live? He's getting instruction. Oh, it matters how I treat my slaves? That, to us, that would be like, of course it matters. They're human. Of course it matters. To them, it would have been like, oh, because they didn't, like, slaves had no rights. None. A master in the Roman Empire could throw his slaves into the Colosseum to be attacked by the lions anytime he wanted to. Anytime, like if the slave just disobeyed or did something wrong or lied to him, anytime he want, he could just throw the slave, give the slave over to the Colosseum to be devoured by lions. And it was not questioned. It was completely acceptable. So like the slaves had no, they were not, they had no rights at all. And so for the master to be sitting here and be like, Oh, I should provide my slaves with what is fair and right? Like it matters? I didn't know it mattered. Why does it matter? Well, because they're humans. <laughs> but because you have a master in heaven, you have a master in heaven. You are not just like able to do whatever you want anytime you want, you are serving someone. He is the master of heaven. He is the king of the universe. And your actions matter. Your actions matter. You are serving a master. So take care of how you treat the people in your care. Take care of the people in your care. All right, that brings us to the end of what we are discussing for today. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through chapter 4 verse 1. I hope it was a blessing to you. I hope you were able to see things in there about how we shall live as a church, as a body of Christ, as a family, as a follower of Jesus, how we should love each other. Love each other. Yes and amen. I will be back soon, (laughs) soon with chapter 4 as we wrap up this series on Colossians. Thanks for joining me. Bye.